Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello there, how's it going? Welcome to this week's Zonal Marking Podcast with me, Ali Maxwell, and today, solo, Tom Warville. Tom, this is exciting. No Michael today, and today's topic feels a little bit like when your parents leave you at home as a youngster and tell you not to do certain things, so you absolutely do them. Yeah, definitely, Ali. We're uh, we're in the hot seat when we've decided today to go through each of the 24 championship teams and, I guess, bring a, a an NTT20 flavour to the Zonal Marking podcast. So we're going to be going through each team, through the teams and players, and talking through some of the interesting trends behind the numbers this season. Coxie being as he is uber focused on the top tier it's a good week for him to be off he'll be absolutely ticking that he was a parent in that analogy that we used in the intro but no you're right we're going to head through the the championship league table from top to bottom catching you up with the the trends the teams and players that you need to know about there's one month left of the season and this for me is really where the EFL and following the EFL comes into its own if you've taken a few months off following championship football now's the time to switch back on because the run-in is always exciting and unpredictable you have unlike the Premier League where often you know the most exciting thing heading into the last few games is the battle for the Champions League which is kind of almost a, uh, a manufactured product in the in the EFL you've got that beautiful duality of promotion and relegation the agony and the ecstasy of, of playoff football as well I, I think you get the picture I, I don't need to sell it much more but Tom's on hand here to provide the analysis and I'll do the frills. Some people say you can't possibly give insight into 24 teams within one hour and to that I say I probably agree with you but we're going to do our best and there's a reason why Tom Warville has been nominated as a as a data journalist of the year here in the UK. So let's give it a go starting with Norwich City who are well clear at the top of the table. They're eight points clear of second, 14 points clear of third place, two automatic spots, of course. So we expect them to be back in the Premier League next season. They've only lost three of their last 34 league games. And Tom, no doubt in my mind, following these leagues each week, that they have been head and shoulders above every other team in the division. But I'm interested in the numbers here. For example, in terms of their attacking numbers, I see them as the the most consistent chance creation team from open play at least does that stack up with the numbers yeah definitely i mean looking at the the last three seasons in the championship only uh, leads in 2018-19 so obviously the year before they were promoted created more chances from open play um, they created 10 and a half per 90 whereas norwich is is around uh, 10 per 90 this season so that's a pretty good figure to have against your name and shows you that they're kind of linking really well in attack with buendia campwell um, lucas rupp at times as well um, and that's also ahead of their previous campaign in the championship in 2018-19 where they were creating 9.2 of these chances uh, per game so in terms of open play chance creation Ali doing uh, doing really well so far this season and I guess the big question for Norwich City and for, for observers of the Premier League is are they better placed to make a good fist of it in the Premier League next season a pretty desperate attempt I think it's fair to say in the 19-20 season with a few mitigating circumstances granted in October we did a podcast on how to survive in the Premier League after promotion so hopefully Stuart Webber and co have listened to that I would suggest that Norwich will need to be significantly better defensively than last time they went up that's not a particularly bold statement do the defensive numbers this season suggest that they are a stronger defensive side? Their defensive numbers are pretty much the same as they were in the Championship in 1819. Mm. They're conceding about one XG per game, so nothing's really changed there. They're actually a little worse going for, forwards. But, um, I mean, the biggest issue for Norwich from the Championship to the Premier League last time was just none of that really translating very well. The attack kind of, the bottom fell out of the attack and they relied so much on Timu Puki. Uh, and defensively, I think they were the third worst defence in the Premier League in the last three seasons. So, yeah, I guess the, the numbers haven't changed too much. But what's interesting is that this was a team that was so young in the Premier League last season. I mean, they relied so much on Max Ahrens, on Jamal Lewis, on Ben Godfrey. They obviously lost Lewis and Godfrey and they've, they've all got a bit more experience and older at 
the back. So you'd think that that perhaps will put them in good stead if they, they go back up, that they can defend more cohesively as a team. And we're going to pick out a player or two for most teams in the championship here. Players that we think maybe have an interesting skill set, who are young, talented players with an exciting future ahead of them. Of course, plenty of, of current players thriving at the top of the Premier League who did time, if you look at it that way, uh, in the championship. For Norwich, I mean, where to start, really? We've picked three, but we could have picked about five or six. Yeah, we've gone for Emmy Wendia, Max Ahrens and Todd Cantwell. And uh, with Coxie not here, we can we can use all the Americanisms we want on this podcast, <laughs> which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, and Wendia's had a double-double this season in terms of goals and assists, 10 goals and 11 assists so far uh, this campaign, which is, is very tidy and something that he really struggled with in the Premier League was scoring last season, was having shots. And he's only obviously showed that that is also a part of his game. Max Ahrens, someone who potentially is the next name on 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 kind of the uh, the selling list the transfer list for for Norwich in terms of raising cash and, and ensuring they can be ran as a sustainable club in the seasons going forwards someone who has got better this season at progressing the ball upfield he's extremely tidy on the ball I feel I don't think he's very he's quite conservative in possession he keeps the ball very very well which we see per kind of smarter scout and their ball retention model for a right back and then Todd Cantwell as well is someone who I think at times is quite a flashy player but his contributions don't always show up in the numbers, but he's having his best season in terms of goals and assists per 90 and is improving. Uh, and bear in mind, he's still a young player, I think 20, 23 years old still, so only going to get better, but he's probably having the best campaign of his career as well. Yeah, he was pretty popular in the Premier League last season. And, and as you say, the development has been absolutely clear to anyone that's followed him over the last three years. So remains to be seen what, what his ceiling will be, but a really exciting development this season Todd Campwell growing into a, a senior attacking player in this side and and giving them an extra dimension really uh, on top of your Buendias your Pukis etc in Watford we've got a really interesting team because relegated from the Premier League last season one of the favourites to go back up as relegated teams always are it hasn't always been plain sailing this season a managerial change about halfway through with Vlad Ivic departing after a few months and Thisco Munoz coming in. They're currently six points ahead of third place, having won five in a row. So they're in really, really good nick as we record. And I note that having said, I felt Norwich were evidently the the best side in the league. They've actually got the same goal differences as Norwich, having scored one goal fewer and conceded one goal fewer. What would a rolling XG graph tell us here, Tom? My my gut feeling from watching a lot of these games is that their defence has always been strong this season, but the attack was pretty grim until Christmas. So in my head, at least, the attacking numbers would have really kicked on after the change of manager, the appointment of Thisco Munoz. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one with Watford because it's such a, a busy chart, really. It's something we'll tweet out with a link to the pod once this is... Uh once this episode's out so people can see it. But you see there's there's obviously a ton of managers. This is Watford after all. But we do see there's quite a bit of defensive improvement as the weeks have gone on um, this season. And they're probably at the best that they've been since perhaps the start of Harry Gratch's stint or, or the start of his 2018-19 season. And the attack has improved as well with, with Cisco coming in. So yeah, there's definitely clear signs of, of improvement and the team's getting better, which is good. It's what you want, especially when you're building towards promotion, but also sustainable promotion and not kind of yo-yoing between the two. It took a while for them to find a a settled team and shape even when Munoz came in you know this didn't happen overnight it it definitely took a few weeks for the performances to improve to the extent that that we now see them as as clear second favorites for promotion and in a very strong position I think the introduction of a, a few players that that weren't in the first team for various reasons in the first half of the season has made a big difference so if it's looking likely that Watford will take that second spot. I think fans of the Premier League can look forward to seeing a centre-back called Sierra who's been transformative since he's established his place in this side. Adam Messina at left-back as well has, has been excellent, fantastic stamina and, and quality on the ball as well, but defensively sound. Will Hughes has been a big part of the team since the turn of the year, having struggled for fitness, which is what we've said often in his career but Hughes is still only 25 years old he's currently on a a brilliant run of form and Watford have barely lost since he's come into the team that's no coincidence because of the quality that he has on the ball but he can mix it as well he's he's not exactly you know he's he's not a soft touch in the center of the park so those are some interesting players I think that have made a, a big impact since growing into the side but Tom 
in terms of players in focus for the wider audience, there's got to be a couple of young players to look at here. Yeah, there's Ismail Assar and Joao Pedro are probably the two two main ones in that regard. But I'm particularly interested in Saar because we've seen quite a drop-off, in fact, of his numbers last season in terms of when you look at expected goals, expected assists, chances created, take-ons. All of these things which you may think would go up in the championship, a league which is easier for you know most players when you're stepping down to score goals in and do more of these things in. And yeah, they've all kind of gone down. So that's that's definitely one that's intriguing. And yeah, whether you know his numbers will rebound again in the Premier League, maybe it's just the way that Watford play or the way that he's targeted in the league is the reason for that. Um, that's definitely an interesting one of the numbers. I would suggest potentially as well another factor, albeit I am surprised that numbers would drop. That is clearly... Uh, unusual or you wouldn't expect that I think it's a it's a tactical thing as well more to do with the opposition than anything to do with Watford you know the the very nature of being strong favourites for most games that you play in mean that they're coming up against a a lot of low blocks a lot of set defences a lot of teams sitting deep and and restricting space in the final third and I guess that's where Saar with his incredible pace you know we haven't we haven't been able to see as many examples of that this season because Watford haven't been allowed to play in transition maybe as much as they would have done in the Premier League so I still think he's been very very impressive you know he 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 just gets so much attention from opposition defences but the most impressive thing for me has been and this isn't very numbersy I'm afraid has been his attitude and his availability I think we're constantly seeing teams that come down from the Premier League and we as championship observers get get told about fantastic talents who are, who are surely going to tear it up and it's not always the case and I think a lot of that can come down to situation circumstances poor atmosphere around the place but Sar has played, you know, 90 minutes of almost every single game. Um, in fact, he, he's recently missed one or two, I think possibly down to that sort of wear and tear and fatigue. But that's been the most impressive thing for me. And yeah, I suppose I, my eyebrows were raised about, you know, 40, 50 million pound price tags. And certainly halfway through the season, maybe if you're looking at the pure numbers, you weren't necessarily seeing where that was coming from. But I think certainly if he can finish strong and get back to the Premier League with Watford, then it won't be long before he's catching the eye again, maybe with a bit more space to play into. And as for João Pedro, I mean, as a a sort of complete forward, I guess, harking back to our glossary of terms for attackers last few weeks, he's fascinating because he's only 19... He's definitely shown he can mix it physically already at such a young age. He shows brilliant touches in the middle of the park, in linking play, and a bit of a goal scorer's touch as well. You know, his numbers aren't gaudy, aren't that amazing. But again, for someone of his age, I think this season would have done a lot for him. He's probably got more game time than he would have done in the Premier League and will move back up to the Premier League should Watford be promoted in a better place because of it. Um, Let's move on to Swansea City. They're in third place as we record. They've been up there all season, despite, Tom, their numbers never really being reflective of a a top two push in terms of the performance data, possibly not even a playoff team at times. I I think defensively they were massively running hot earlier in the season. The one thing they were doing very well was restricting big chances from the opposition. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I remember speaking to Stu James recently, who um, is one of our senior writers and is a big Swansea fan, and he was saying, Tom, I, I have no idea what the identity of our team is. They don't really seem to do much right or there's nothing that really defines them which I thought was interesting and and yeah we look at the expected goal difference numbers which is the quality of chances they create minus those that they concede and they're about average in the league there they're ranked 11th for this by this measure and that for us is usually a pretty solid measure of of the quality of a side really their ability to to create chances but also stop themselves from conceding them at the back as well but to add some a stat to that kind of big chances point you made I mean they're uh, conceding the second fewest big chances per game at just over one, and that's with with Reading. So definitely pretty good at the back of maybe you know conceding shots, but they're not obviously high quality efforts, and maybe it's quite tough to break down. Things have started to slip a little bit recently. Watford's good form allowing that gap to grow, and that always comes with a bit of panic from within the fan base. Stu James among them, of course. Uh, the main point of contention seems to be if we had a proper number nine or a proper goal scorer we'd be higher in the table. Now, that's always quite an interesting one from a data perspective, isn't it, Tom? Is there something in that? Or is it maybe chance creation that they're lacking? As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I think it's, I mean, looking at the numbers, we see Andre Ayo's got 14 goals from 12.7 XG. So, I mean, I'm more interested in the fact that he's got 14 goals. The next uh, highest is um, Jamal Lowe with nine and Conor Hurahan with, with five. So I think it shows that do they need a, a proper number nine goal scorer? It does feel like they kind of have one in IU who's providing a large bulk of the goals. My argument would probably be that they, they just don't have many scorers in the squad. You've got IU, you've got Lowe, you've got Hurahan. The other goals really are coming from Connor Roberts, who's flying down the wing, someone will perhaps get to, and um, Ben Cabango at the back, who I imagine is a threat from, from set pieces. But aside from that, there's not really many other clear scorers. And if you're relying so much on IU, you don't really have a, a solid backup if he's kind of not firing, really. Mm. And in terms of players to watch, we've got Aloni in Mark Guehi on loan from Chelsea, currently with the under-21s, of course, very highly rated. Uh, and the right wing back, you mentioned him, Connor Roberts, 25-year-old, came through the youth system at Swansea this year, really, really thriving. Uh, he's great to watch. I always think he wouldn't look out of place in a in the Welsh rugby union team. He's he's a, a real physical monster. Yeah, Roberts is an interesting one. I mean, he, he you kind of lump him in the stats among other left-backs and, and wing-backs, and he just looks more like a winger. Like, he doesn't really do any... Tackling, he's not an overly solid tackler, but he's fantastic at creating chances in open play and and passing into the penalty area. So so he's great. And um, yeah, another quick quick mention of Mark Grahey there, who you would imagine he gets another loan next season. Potentially, he's ready for for Premier League football. Very very solid tackler, kind of in the top tenth percentile for winning his his duels on the ground, and also wins quite a few fouls as well. I think he's he's someone who is uh, doesn't mind dribbling the ball out of the back, which in this kind of modern pivot towards possession focused centre backs and those that are, are comfortable on the ball, I think that he's a, a a great example of someone who is ready to perhaps make that next step. Mm. It's an interesting time to talk about Brentford, who are in fourth place. So much expected of them now that it feels like they're slipping a little. The last few games, they've given away leads. Uh, they've drawn both of their last two and, of course, Watford pulling away. Uh, pretty good numbers, though, throughout. I feel like you could have put a pin at any point in the last five years and Brentford would have had pretty good numbers. They certainly, you know, practice what they preach. Yeah, certainly. I mean, they've got the best defence in the league and the second best attack, both by, by XG and that's just behind Norwich. So, yeah, numbers are fantastic. I think they perhaps not create a chance at the right time or gone behind early and then had to fight back and, and win leads from there afterwards. Um, that is always uh, a thing which will mean that the maybe the XG numbers differ from, from results at times. But yes, underlying, this is a really, really solid team and one that is deserving of the place that, uh, that they're in at the table perhaps should be a little bit higher. And it seems odd to ask this about a team that have scored nine goals more than any other club in the division. But are they struggling a little bit for, for juice in attacking play outside of the remarkable Ivan Tony? Yeah, I think it's crazy that he's got... I mean, Tony's got 28 goals in the league this season, but that's still less than half of all of Brentford's goals, which just seems a, a baffling stat, really. Um, yeah, perhaps. I mean, Sergi Canos, seven goals. Josh Silva, five goals. Uh, Marcus Fors, five goals. Brian and Buemo, four goals. So there's not really anyone else who's, who's hit double digits yet. Someone like Saman Godos, as well as is someone on paper you think is quite attacking, has only contributed three goals and three XG. So yeah, you imagine that they go to the Premier League and, and is that a solid enough group such that if you know, imagine Tony gets an injury, you think they really might be struggling there. So yeah, they're an interesting one. I mean, one last thing on, on Tony. I mean, the record for the most goals in the championship, 
I think is Glenn Murray in 2012-13, where he scored 30. So Tony's got two off tying that record, three off beating it, and there's nine games to go. So Brentford aren't going to win the league, but it um, could be a very, very special for season for Tony uh, individually. Not a bad replacement for England's Ollie Watkins at the price, I think the initial price of about £5 million, rising to 10 with various add-ons and incentive-based clauses. Barnsley are fifth, and it's a great time to talk Barnsley, not just because they have flown into playoff contention, but also you've just written about them contributing to a piece with US-based writer for The Athletic, Paul Tenorio. Tom, you wrote a piece about Barnsley and part owner Billy Bean wasn't mentioned at all. What? I'm going to blame Paul for that one. I mean, I feel, yeah, I feel that that's probably a strike against my name in certain analytic circles. Um, not even the word Moneyball was in the piece either. I, I'm not, I don't think so. Yeah, two strikes perhaps. But um, yeah, Paul um, managed to get an interview with Daryl Dyke or Daryl DK, I think it's pronounced, um, who is on loan from Orlando City and has really hit the ground running. He's only 20 years old. He is uh, a absolute unit of a player I, I was fortunate to see him live against um, Brentford on, on Valentine's Day a couple of months ago now and he was just yeah really really eye-catching and very very good at just disrupting the flow of the match and he just fits Barnsley style perfectly I mean PPDA wise they don't show up too highly for the season as a whole they're, they're six and their overall PPDA of, of 10.9 um, PPDA for those that don't know is passes per defensive action so how many passes do you allow the opposition to make before you you know, stick a foot in and, and try and win it back. But since December, that's been the highest in the league, which is really when results have, have started to kick up. And that's dropped down to 10.2. So very, very aggressive pressing team. But the thing I'm more interested in is that when you look at the cadence of kind of possessions in a match and how the ball moves from one side to the next and how they kind of have possession, turn it over, you usually get on average about 102 possessions in a game in the championship uh, per team. That is. Um, and for for Barnsley, that shoots all the way up to 123 possessions per game. So there's just so much disruption. It's it's very much kind of the, let's go for the Phoenix Suns and the kind of seven seconds or less attack um, and the way that they would, you know, play the transition, look to go end to end so quickly. That is exactly how Barnsley look to play. The next highest team in terms of that, that possessions per game chart is Coventry with 108. So there's a huge gap there. And it, it just shows you how different really Barnsley's pressing and I guess high octane style is really. They do a lot of things differently. Um, amazing use of of the fact that you can make five substitutions in the EFL this season. Valerian Ishmael is is not afraid to make two or three subs at half time. Quite often takes off all three forwards and two central midfield players um, before the 65th minute. It's uh, it's something that helps them maintain that press throughout the game. But also on the extreme level when it comes to the age of their squad. Yeah, it probably helps that you know you can make the five subs, but you're bringing it on not just fresh fresh legs, but young ones as well. I mean, I looked across all of Europe, including the Championship, and I think that they are, in terms of the weighted average age of the team. So if you you weight the players' age currently versus the amount of minutes they played, um, they're the second youngest team in Europe behind Nice. Um, who, if you look at Nice's the kind of age chart for them, it's William Saliba's in there, Amine Guri, loads of really young quality players, and Barnsley are the same. They're just chocolate chock full of kind of young players who similar height similar build but they all kind of allow them to play this really neat press pressing style so yeah a lot of a lot of fun Barnsley maybe one for for the purest but in terms of like we talk about quite unique FC the other week and teams that have very clear tactical identities I think Barnsley are a, a great watch really yeah they're definitely the outliers the unicorns if you will of the championship clinging on to to sixth spot is Reading they're in the last playoff place at the moment now my opinion is that their sort of base level is more of a playoff chasing team in the sort of 7th to 12th range. But they started the season with seven wins and a draw in their first eight, 22 points from a possible 24. Now, as I say, they've sort of slid down from that point. And I think their playoff spot is quite vulnerable. Would the numbers back that up? Yeah, I think so. I think that 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 really hot start um, covers up a lot of of faults, I guess, in this team and, and shows that perhaps... Underlying-wise, they're not as good as their their place in the table suggests. Um, I mean, looking at their games uh, until the end of October, um, they scored 16 goals from 6.8 xG, which is a ludicrous uh, overperformance. And the next highest, uh, that's, I think, overall looking at non-penalty goals. It was nine goals more than you'd anticipate, given the chances they had. Um, The next highest in that list in the Championship at the time was Bristol City, who scored 0.84 more goals than you'd expect. So... um, 
yeah, Reading were, were definitely firing on all cylinders, but maybe weren't creating too many good chances. So yeah, I think that, again, that they are probably the, the most likely team to, to fall out of there uh, if one of them is to. Fun team to watch though, aren't they? A few academy graduates in the first team, a couple of young superstars as well. Michael Elise has five goals and 10 assists, still a teenager. It's amazing, really. Proper debut season stuff. Uh, and Omar Richards, the left back, he's heading to Bayern Munich on a free in the summer. Uh, and my personal favourite, is Ovi Ajaria, the, the dribbly legend, as I call him. Yeah, we um, I contributed to a piece with Nick Miller not so long ago on Richards, which is definitely worth a, worth a plug and worth a read. And you can see that he's a pretty comfortable in possession, pretty dribbly winger, and also someone that um, is is confident and capable on the defensive end of the game as well. So um, he's a, a very interesting pickup from Bayern Munich. Um, and imagine someone who will perhaps see in the Premier League or, uh, you know, amongst a bigger team in Europe in a few years when when Bayern probably flip him for a, a nice profit. Ajaria, 5.1 dribbles per 90 is 95th percentile and above, um, and his completion rate is pretty good as well. So yes, dribbly legend definitely is, is apt Ali on that one. Um, and Elise seems like he's more of a passer. Um, very nice passing numbers into the box as a winger and into the attacking third. So perhaps something again that he's been linked with a lot of teams and imagine this summer if Reading don't go up maybe they look to to cash in on him from there uh, he can definitely carry the ball as well but yeah Elise quality in his left boot is quite spectacular I would say for someone of his age playing at this level so if they are vulnerable we need to work out who's most likely to take their spot in the playoff places how about Bournemouth in seventh relegated from the Premier League last season a bit of chaos off the field uh, reports yesterday of a £60 million loss in their latest financial reports they've also changed manager this season sacking Jason Tindall who was Eddie Howe's assistant and hiring Jonathan Woodgate who had had a tough time with Middlesbrough in the Championship last season so it's all been a little bit peculiar and yet here they are not a million miles away from the playoffs I still don't really know what to make of them um, Tom do you think they're the most likely to punch their way in? Perhaps I mean they were the fifth best team if you look at the whole season by expected goal difference but of late that's dropped down to t- to 12th so it doesn't seem like they are really trending upwards let's say so yeah they're, they're definitely a, an interesting one I think that Dom Solanke was having a really really good campaign until I think he was injured recently and, and that I think it's always nice. I mean, you're in the kind of Bamford Solanke school of strikers who get a lot of stick because they couldn't cut it at a high level early in their careers, but then obviously come back and, and work on their game and show that they actually do have, have value up front. So I, I think that maybe this isn't a team that perhaps can can uh, make their way into the playoffs, remain to be seen. But um, yeah, I think there's been a couple of good individual performers. I mean, Ali, you've noted here, Dan Juma as well is a, another interesting one. Yeah, my favourite player to watch, I think from a neutral perspective, wide forward to, who tends to play off the left. Uh, obviously, he was very highly rated in, in his youth career in Holland and then in Belgium um, and maybe just made the, the move at the wrong time, I suppose, to a Bournemouth side that ended up getting a, a relegation that wouldn't have been on the cards or wouldn't have been expected to be on the cards. But just a really direct, dynamic, skillful. Uh, wide player who has chipped in with quite a lot of goals. I, I note from your numbers that his 10 goals have come from 5.4 expected. So maybe finishing a little hot this season. Um, certainly if you watch his goals back, they're all beautiful strikes from you know the left corner of the box into the far top corner. So um, certainly a skill of his, but maybe we couldn't expect him to continue scoring at this rate uh, unless he was to start getting on the end of a few more uh, chances. But third for non-penalty goals and assists per 90 in the league this season. If he hadn't missed a fair amount of time through injury, I think Bournemouth would be higher. Uh, what about Cardiff City in eighth? Mick McCarthy, a real stalwart of the English game, over a thousand games managed. And since he was appointed, they've moved up the table, Tom, basically fueled by an uber-direct style of play. Yeah, they're definitely direct under McCarthy. I mean, if we look at their direct speed, which is um, how quickly they move directly up the field in terms of metres per second, um, they're only behind Wickham, Rotherham and Barnsley by that measure. So definitely uh, looking to use... The long ball, long direct passes upfield quite a lot to to you know gain ball progression upfield and and kind of stage attacks uh, from there and Kiefer Moore is a, a big part of that up front. Kiefer Moore, one of the league's great target men as well, but showed for Wales in midweek you know a balletic feat as well when necessary in the penalty box. Uh, he's been a real revelation since signing for Cardiff. I think it's fair to say uh, he does turn the ball over on forty five percent of his touches though, which is the the worst rate in the league. So you know still some work to do when it comes to the ball sticking to him but he has thrived under McCarthy's direct style of play Middlesbrough below them managed by Neil Warnock another member of the 
over 1,000 games managed club. Uh, people think of, of Neil Warnock a certain way, I think, Tom, and I think sometimes that's a little unfair. Certainly on the underlying numbers, this Borough team have been pretty impressive this season. Yeah, very solid. I mean, they've got the, the second best defence by XG against, conceding just 9.2 shots a game, which is the third best in the league. And going forwards as well, I mean, the fifth best attack, a bit under their XG too. And I think a big part of that is Britta Sambalonga's scored just five goals from 9.1 XG. So I don't think he's alone in that, but he's been the, the biggest culprit for perhaps missing his chances. But yeah, I mean, I definitely have a, a soft spot for Neil Warnock. Probably found myself watching the Warnock documentary once a month during lockdown <laughs> just to, to keep spirits high. And um, one stat I found, which... For me, flies in the face of what I come to expect of, of Warnock as a, a manager, probably because I've got that um, image of him and Paddy Kenny having a spat in the changing rooms imprinted on the front of my mind at this point. But I mean, one stat that I found which was was quite interesting was that um, Middlesbrough foul their opposition and end their kind of sequences of play just 5% of the time, which is the lowest in the championship. And I, I've maybe come to expect more from from a Warnock side, which in our minds, we have this idea of kind of old school English manager and, you know, get stuck into them and all this kind of stuff. But that definitely doesn't play out on the field. They're playing um, maybe not overly eye-catching football, but good football. And yeah, they're not, they're not fouling opposition quite as much as you'd uh, perhaps expect also. And one for Manchester United and Northern Ireland fans, Paddy McNair, the player in focus, he is their action man. I know you looked into the, the numbers and he's basically doing everything. You know, he plays centre-back, sometimes defensive midfield, sometimes central midfield, uh, and that's kind of reflected in the numbers. Uh, I think he's in the 95th percentile among centre-backs for true tackles, uh, possession adjusted, and also up there for passes into the attacking third, for shots, for take-ons, for fouls suffered. You know, that is a function of the different positions that he plays, but he certainly is all action. Correct. Millwall in 10th, um, with all due respect, not a ton to say, I don't think, that they basically play every single game on insanely tight margins. Uh, you'll notice a lot of drawn games, most of their wins or defeats by a single goal, often from a set piece. You know, it's still very impressive on the budget that they have and, and to have established themselves at this level since promotion about three or four years ago, which many teams have failed to do. In terms of players, I, I want to ask you about Jed Wallace because he's a, a friend of my pod. He's a very popular guy and a popular player. And I think a bit of a one-man attack at times. Uh, Millwall don't score a lot of goals, but Wallace got a double-double last season, 10 goals, 10 assists. And I think he would this season if his teammates could finish a little better. Uh, do, you, do you agree with that? Yeah, perhaps not a double-double, but I mean, his, his numbers are definitely better than, his underlying numbers are definitely better than the actual goals and assists he's put up this season. I mean, two assists from 5.3 expected and three goals from 4.2 expected is um, underperformance in both. But combine those and look at it per 90, he's still in the top 25th percentile of kind of attacking midfielders and wingers. So yeah, still doing a lot of what made him so good last season but has his, his teammates and perhaps his own finishing slightly to blame this season and Stoke in 11th I'm afraid huge mid-table vibes from Stoke 42 goals scored 42 goals conceded uh, 13 wins 13 draws 12 defeats um, I'd like to see a defeat in their next game to even that up make it 13-13-13 um, interesting for, for onlookers potentially is, is young wide forward or striker Tyrese Campbell who started the season really really hot son of Kevin Campbell and with a, a brilliant eye for goal, but um, ball-carrying ability as well, great skill. And he had six goals and seven assists by the start of December, but then picked up a serious injury. And, and from that point, Stoke have basically gone from automatic promotion contenders, as it looked like they were, to very much a mid-table side. That's really affected them. But you think he's slightly overdoing his numbers or, or was running a little bit hot, which I definitely agree with, I recognise. I would say maybe a bit like Dan Juma, maybe just for the level... His, his quality in terms of finishing and the chances that he was putting on a plate for Stephen Fletcher was definitely eye-catching. And, you know, I, I'm fascinated to know what happens to him over the summer, whether someone might take a punt on him despite a serious injury or whether, hopefully, we'll see him tear up this league next season. But a mention for a centre-back as well, young Harry Souter, absolute giant of a, of a kid in his first full season in the Championship. Um, he is an Aussie from Scotland. Uh, his brother plays for Scotland. He plays for Australia. In fact, hilariously for a centre-back, he has four goals in two games for Australia just because he keeps, you know, when they win 10-0 in some of their uh, World Cup qualifiers, Suter tends to, doesn't even need to get off the ground to head a couple of goals in. Yeah, definitely, Ali. I think both him and, and Tyrese Campbell have been a couple of players you've uh, shown on your kind of Friday night segments on the TV and, and I guess shows your, A, your eye for talent and B, uh, 
um, yeah, good good scouting chops. Um, but yeah, Suter has definitely been someone who's dominant in the air. Like you say, you'd expect that for his size. Seventy four percent area win rate is the third best in the league. Um, really good, solid individual jeweler as well. And fourteen long balls per ninety is just so stoke, irrespective of kind of who the manager is and part of what makes him uh, a kind of all round package. Both you know, progressive passing, good in the air, good on the ground. So uh, yeah, interesting, interesting player. I wonder if he's the one who gets a, a move in the summer, or perhaps it's uh, it's Nathan. Collings, the young Irish centre-back who's playing at Stoke as well. I would say Premier League clubs outside of the top six seem to be perfectly happy buying young centre-backs from the Championship um, after only a season's worth of, uh, of of appearances. So it could be one to watch for sure. QPR are in 12th. Uh, they were much lower down before the end of January, but they've had the fifth best record since then, which has taken them away from any concerns of a relegation battle lots being put down to January additions loanies from the Premier League Charlie Austin and Stefan Johansson uh, Johansson just a combative midfielder who's got quality in his left foot as well and Austin's come in and, and provided what I think we knew he would which is just more of a, a goal scoring threat more shots in the box a better finisher than the strikers they had previously um, but in terms of the player we have to talk about Ilias Chair because he's an exceptional player to watch it's fair to say and I love him. I, I think he's really good and someone who could thrive in a better team. But in data scouting terms, he's got a bit of a red flag, doesn't he? Because I would point to the amount of chances he's created and you would point to how many of those come from set-piece situations rather than from open play, which might be a better predictor of how creative a player is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at his expected assist from open play, it's low. His, his XG is low. There's nothing really there that uh, that speaks to me in terms of being a, a direct threat, but he seems like someone who's very much the the passer before the passer at times. Um, and it mean from open play, he's averaging four passes into the penalty area per ninety, which is top twenty percent of attacking mids in the champ. Um, although that is there's just eighteen of them who've kind of played in that number ten space behind the striker or strikers. But there was a you know. To be fair, I feel that's probably a skill that can translate, especially to a team which has a lot of possession in the final third at times or looks to build attacks uh, within the final third. But there was a lovely one I was watching while kind of researching with this pod against Reading recently. Uh, I think it's Tom Holmes who he kind of passed the ball inside out and Holmes just completely stops, looks at the, the goal play out before his eyes and then just hand on face. Uh, he's just you know been absolutely cut up by a, a perfectly played Elias Chair kind of slice through the, the defence. So yeah, that those sort of passes are extremely eye-catching. Um, it's whether that there's more to his game than that, which um, so far the numbers suggest that there's not. Luton are 13th and they're a really interesting club to, to look at a little bit deeper because in terms of budgets in this league, they're right down at the bottom. So very much punching above their weight and all coincided with the reappointment of Nathan Jones, a manager who well, essentially won two promotions with them to take them from League Two to the Championship. But just before the second promotion got poached by Stoke, a move which didn't go well at all. But still a fascinating and young manager who's thriving again at Luton, guided them to safety after lockdown last season and now a mid-table team. Um, what's their style like from the numbers? Yeah, it seems like they, they press quite high up the pitch, but maybe not. Uh, it's not like a full court press, really. Um, they're quite low on PPDA, but their high turnovers of 3.1 per 90, which is sequences that start within 40 metres of the opposition goal in open play, is the third highest in the league. Um, and they allow opponents just 18 seconds per possession on the ball, which is the sixth sixth lowest. So, yeah, out of out of possession, they look um, you know, fairly press-happy upfield. But... Um, in terms of on possession of the ball, they they turn their possessions into shots just a quarter of the time, which is the worst rate in the championship. So perhaps that speaks to their their direct style, and they're just trying to have more possessions to try and get more chances. But yeah, definitely uh, quite I guess an interesting style for someone who's actually not really seen much of them at all. And in the manner of many teams who have to punch above their weight budget wise, they're going for um, a, a pretty data driven approach to recruitment. They've hired Jay Sosick, who's been on this podcast before. Many will know him as Blades Analyst on Twitter. He's now their head of recruitment analysis and they've got a big chunk of players in this squad who have been with them for three or four years as they've risen through the leagues and I just wonder whether to, to make another step there may need to be a, a careful sort of um, overturn or churn in the squad and no doubt there'll be data at the heart of it. They've already picked up a, a striker from League Two called Elijah Adebayo. He's our one to watch because they signed him from Walsall right at the end of the January transfer window and he's taken to championship football very well which for someone of his age uh, is unusual to make that two-step uh, that two-division step quite so 
easily i mean maybe a slight overperformance so far but he's huge he's like six foot four competes really well aerially but seems to have a, a bit of a goal scoring knack about him as well you've said looking at the profile something of the the calvert lewin about him which is obviously pretty exciting but plenty uh, of time until he well plenty of development until he reaches those levels bristol city in 14th they have nigel pearson in charge as of about two months ago prior to that they had one of the worst runs i can ever remember a sort of top half team having uh, at this level anyway sort of december through february have they settled down now under pearson yeah it doesn't feel like things have, have changed a lot under pearson they still look quite bad underlying numbers wise and things under lee johnson were just so much rosier it just shows you the, the quality of the job he was able to do to continually kind of recruit and keep the squad competing around my table season on season uh, and as soon as you, you've taken them out of the equation there's a few kind of older players in there now chris brunn adrian mariapa chris martin the squad's a, an odd mix of kind of some very talented youngsters who aren't getting too many minutes and, and a kind of older core who are getting more of more of the, the time on the field so um yeah there's there's a good squad here it's just trying to work out how you how you make the most of it yeah one player that some may remember from monaco days is han noah masengo uh who bristol city paid a, a decent chunk for as a 17 18 year old he's kind of mixed success i would say at this stage a central midfield player who's having to develop as he plays for the first team various managers have loved him and dropped him in equal measure but i think he's uh, an interesting profile and, and that huge transfer fee certainly means he's one to keep an eye on but through the academy as well bristol city are very active in this sense uh, zach viner is probably the one to watch for me uh, if you can picture christian bielik i would suggest he's a, a similar type of player to that very versatile can play center back can play in a, a midfield role as well, you know, tackles, carries the ball, can pass forward as well. By no means a, a hugely creative passer, but very, very passable, um, so to speak, and uh, one to watch, the sort of player I like a lot. Blackburn in 15th, uh, Tom, crazy sort of story of their season because early on, numbers-wise, they were right at the top of the XG4 numbers. They were just insane shot volume. Um, and and it, they've got worse as the season's gone on, which I think doesn't reflect too well on Tony Mowbray. You know, my memory of their last few months are they seem to end up with five attacking players on the pitch at the end of every game, but they don't really seem to be too cohesive. Do the numbers suggest that they've had a big drop-off in form throughout the season? Not overly. I mean, they're still seventh by expected goal difference, and that's obviously a big difference between the 15th position of the table so I always find these things interesting when those two things don't match up and I wonder if it's like you said about they usually finish with a lot of attackers on field whether it's just them running up the numbers um, when they're behind or or you know when they're ahead they're not really trying to extend their lead and they're actually getting um, getting attacked on quite a lot so yeah that's definitely an interesting one it does seem from the numbers there could be the um, the makings of a decent squad here and also I think Blackburn focused quite a lot in terms of youth and, and I think they picked up Harry Pickering in January someone that we've spoken about on this pod before in the past but a couple of young players that they have and have excelled this season I mean Harvey Elliott is such an obvious one um, Mark Curry who's been on this pod before as well is working on a Harvey Elliott piece at the moment and one step he armed me with this podcast is that Elliot's got the highest expected assists per 90 of all under 23 players in the championship which obviously shows the the quality of his passing the quality of his creation um, and he's probably if he keeps going he's probably going to beat Craig Conway's record of 13 league assists in 2013-14 um, he's definitely the the last player to get more than 10 since since Conway so um, yeah he's had a, a great season on loan from Liverpool it was all already quite extraordinary that he was even on loan at the age of 17 but his performances have been certainly even more extraordinary um, exciting for, for Liverpool fans for sure Preston are currently 16th they're also currently managerless having parted company with Alex Neal who's been with them for a few years suggestion that things have gone a bit stale I don't think he's been really properly backed you know consistently their best players have left and even in January two or three key men including Ben Pearson and Ben Davis left the club um, I don't personally think they've been that bad but they are on a really really poor run and in terms of a player to watch I wondered about maybe the goalkeeper Everson who's on loan from Leicester he's been very good uh, Alan Brown of Ireland is a real sort of Swiss army knife can play in a, a number of different positions but you want to talk about a player who maybe will be remembered by Everton fans who follow their youth teams yeah I wanted to speak about Ryan Ledson who's someone who 
Phil Hay and I suggested as a, I guess, a cheaper, younger backup to Calvin Phillips, someone who his data profile shows him is extremely direct, always looking to get the ball forwards from deep. Um, his ball retention is quite low, and I think he makes the most long forward passes in the league um, this season. So looking to replicate that, that asset of Calvin Phillips is as someone who looks to spray the ball out wide and forwards. But also someone who's really good in the air for his size as well. I think the smarter scouts... Um, aerial duels model which kind of adjusts for the quality of plays you're going up against really really like disability in the air in open play so that was something which which really stuck out for me with uh, with Ledson. As well as your piece with Paul on Barnsley and Daryl DK uh, there's an excellent piece on The Athletic by Simon Hughes on Preston the sort of state of the club currently and the, the key decision makers it's classic athletic fair I would massively suggest it even if you don't think you're interested in, in Preston North End if you're not a subscriber of The Athletic theathletic.com forward slash zonal marking is the place to go you'll get a, an offer of £3.99 for six months um, and we, of course we'd recommend all of the excellent writing on site at the moment Nottingham Forest to 17th. They they seemed relegation threatened early on in the season, but Chris Hutton was appointed to replace Sabri Lamucci and things have calmed down a bit. He's a, a very calming influence in general, uh, the sort of man that will put you to sleep if you listen to him for too long. But, you know, he has massively improved their defensive numbers. The big story, though, Tom, in data terms is just how poor they are, not just in creating chances, but also in taking those chances. Yeah, I think finishing this season has is, is definitely left Forest. I mean, looking at each of the players individually, Lyle Taylor, four goals, nearly seven XG. Uh, Lewis Graben, three goals, nearly seven XG. Knockarts, two goals, nearly four XG. Ryan Yates, two goals from, from five XG. And Yates' ones are interesting because I think he's only had a, a couple of really good quality chances in the box and he's 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 kind of got it all wrong, not really got his feet ready. And that's the, the same across the board. I think most of Forrest's players have undershot XG and that's been a, a big issue for them. But I just think it's probably down to... to bad luck really but um you you will hopefully see them bounce back either in the, the coming weeks or next season so um yeah not a, a great one but they've probably secured time in the championship for next season and hopefully you know this is 2021 22 will be the time when forest can really rebuild and look to to march on back to the premier league but we say this every season and it, it invariably doesn't happen at this at this point currently reaping and maybe next season they will sow uh, which is especially a clever line because they have a player called Sambaso and another player called Loic Mbeso. So there you go. Um, in terms of players to watch, they've got an academy graduate called Joe Worrell at centre-back, who's 24, who I think is quite interesting. And James Garner, of course, on loan from Manchester United. He's kind of divided opinion in the championship this season. He was with Watford in the first half of the season and their fans didn't rate him at all. I suppose when you look back at what we spoke about with Watford, they themselves weren't a particularly good team in the first half of the season. Forest fans much more enamoured with him. Uh, Paul Taylor, the Forest writer for The Athletic, has written a really interesting profile piece on Ghana on The Athletic site. Next up's Huddersfield in 18th. Carlos Corberan in charge of this side. They've, they've kind of flattered to deceive a little at times. They've been really impacted by injuries and their squad in general is a little bit muddled. They've got a bit of a Premier League hangover, I would suggest as well. At their best, they've had some really interesting build-up play. Possibly not surprising surprising given Corboran worked under Bielsa for the last few years. They've done some really cool stuff and I think, you know, if you're a fan of tactics, Huddersfield, along with a couple of others, are, are a team to watch and Corboran uh, a manager to follow, but they've also been very, very poor defensively and, yeah, I mean it would be remiss for me to say they are they've been an, an excellent football team, but certainly one that I've enjoyed following um, because their games tend to be fairly entertaining. In terms of players, um, what do you reckon, Tom? A few months ago I would have flagged up Josh Caroma wide forward with really high shot volume he was kind of their main attacking threat but he suffered a long-term injury and I guess the other one that stands out is Pieper who's a, an attacking wing back currently playing at the Euros with Spain under 21s. Yeah Pieper was the the pick for me especially from the data I mean he's someone who um, has been picked up from Espanyol who were relegated from La Liga last season didn't play too much for them last year played about five five games um, in total minutes wise um, but really really solid numbers in terms of creating chances and open play taking on players he, he does that a lot roughly three per 90 um, although he doesn't seem amazing one versus one loves to carry the ball forwards loves to fly into tackles so very very all action kind of a 
Connor Connor Roberts vibe with him. But one of the, the fun things with him, which you'd hopefully or you'd probably see eked out of his game if he does get a kind of a high profile move this summer, is that he's averaging 1.1 shots per 90, which for a fullback is it's up there is a lot. But his quality of those shots is just 0.04 xG on average, which is very very low. These are kind of wide angled shots, or those taken from from tough positions when there's probably a, a better pass on. So a good player at 23 who's going to come into his prime in the next few years, and you can imagine him perhaps getting a move uh, this summer because data wise, there's a, there's a lot to like there. All Peeper needs is a peep of goal and he'll pull the trigger. And maybe we'd rather he started to work the ball into more dangerous areas. Uh, Derby are 19th. They are managed by Wayne Rooney, of course. Uh, Early signs of his first managerial tenure are surprising somewhat in that defensively they've been pretty impressive but they seem incapable of scoring goals does that stack up yeah you look at under Rooney I think or for the league in total this season they've only had 11 different scorers which feels quite on the low side and there's a lot of a burden of scoring it's on the back of, of Colin Kazan Richards who uh, that, again that feels like a very left field move but he's actually adapted quite well to the championship and scored seven goals in total this season but after him uh, Lee Gregory Martin Waghorn three goals apiece so yeah you, I think that there's stuff to like about Rooney's side and he's coming and done well and you, you know hope that there's a good platform to build from and they probably need a, a summer where they're getting players in that are going to fit Rooney's style but there's a lot of youngsters coming through the academy as well which I think Derby have always been pretty good at bringing through talent I think of a long time ago now Curtis Davies Tom Huddleston uh, amongst amongst many others but Ali there's been a, a few more this season which are, are potentially more exciting yeah there's been a group of academy players who thrived in the youth team together. They, they were playing in the equivalent in the Champions League at youth level last season. And, and some of them are making their first steps in the first team. Jason Knight's played the most minutes, sort of box-to-box midfield player with a, a kind of a very varied skill set. Probably doesn't excel at anything, but he's very, very lively, brilliant temperament. Um, then you've got attacking left-back Lee Buchanan, who's kind of made that left-back spot his own. Maybe a little suspect defensively, but the hope is that that will um, improve as the years go on. Silky number 10, Louis Sibley, doesn't always have an obvious slot in this team, but can provide a, a moment of quality in the final third, which they have been lacking. And then two-footed midfield metronome Max Bird, uh, who again hasn't hasn't nailed down a spot in the team, but has plenty of, of qualities that I like a lot. Coventry are 20th, Tom. Uh, This is their first year after promotion from League One. Now, League One to the Championship is a big leap. And the last few years, teams have very much struggled with that. So I think for Kov, survival would be huge success. But they haven't been that fun to watch this season compared to last. A huge struggle for goals for them. But I think maybe focusing on the positive, they're a really interesting side to, to follow if you're a fan of funky recruitment. Uh, in second tier terms certainly and a couple of interesting players to look at yeah definitely I mean Callum O'Hare is someone I think Ali you've noticed before is a very very hard-working uh, maybe defensive-minded attacking player Gustavo Hamer's the one we'll talk about but Tyler Walker as well from Forest, I think was a, a, an interesting pickup someone who did well um, on loan I think perhaps on loan at Lincoln City um, and yeah has, has come in and been serviceable in the championship and, and and has chipped in with a few goals as well but Hamer is someone who was really interesting coming from uh, Peck Zwoller I think um, he's quite small but quite tenacious again he's similar to to Ledson and that we picked him in that piece on Calvin Phillips backups and you'd imagine if if Coventry were to go down or maybe even if not he could he could get a move this summer but very low for kind of retaining the ball loves to pass forwards um, and also scored I think five non-penalty goals this season as well from midfield which is is really handy as well. Birmingham are 21st they're in a bit of a precarious position though because Rotherham have four games in hand over them and are only three points behind so Birmingham nervously looking over their shoulders with new manager Lee Bowyer having replaced Aitor Karanka Tom it it was felt that Karanka was basically at this level an elite defensive manager who it was thought would struggle to put together a team that would create chances and that was basically what happened right except that they weren't good enough defensively to 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 have them anywhere near safety. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, defensively, they they didn't um, concede many shots, but those they did were were pretty high quality. I mean, they were in top six, I think, in terms of xG per shot, which which isn't great when you may prevent the the quantity, but when the quality is at high, it's the same as conceding shots where which are of um, lower quality but more of them. Um, but going forwards, I mean that defensive focus is just completely at the detriment of the side being able to create chances. I mean, 19th for shots, 22nd for XG, 23rd for goals. That's that's really not uh, a great return, really. Mm. It's not the type of 
situation where players can thrive really so you know it's kind of slim pickings in terms of players to watch Ivan Sanchez has been a pretty good pickup um sort of creative winger with a nice left foot uh, but in general the recruitment has been so muddled for quite a long time now a good few years and Ivan Sunic kind of sums that up Croatian defensive midfielder they paid seven million euros for him which at this level without parachute payment money is is always going to raise eyebrows and he probably hasn't had the impact that they would have wanted and therefore has he lost a bit of resale value possibly it's it just kind of sums things up really for them so um rotherham are the ones chasing them down they're in 22nd tom in the last five seasons i think they've been relegated then promoted then relegated then promoted and this time they're trying to avoid another relegation um they're an interesting side they're in the mold of a couple of others we've spoken about they they take the aerial route they're, they're a team with with high intensity yeah they're 17th best for expected goal difference so perhaps better than than the league position of 22nd suggests but um yeah, I just really like their their profile and possession. So they average one sequence per game, which has got 10 or more passes within it. They're the second fastest speed upfield by the direct speed measure I mentioned earlier and second for their share of, pos- of possessions, which ended the final third. So I think from that, you can paint a, a pretty good picture in your mind of the sort of football that, that Rotherham mm. play. They are perhaps sort of Barnsley light, I like to think of it as. Uh, and below them, Sheffield Wednesday, they're in 23rd. They were always kind of up against it this season. Uh, started with a 12-point tw- deduction, which got reduced to six. Uh, on actual points gained, they would be level with Birmingham on 38. But with minus six, they're in big trouble. Six points from safety, albeit with one game in hand. But of course, Rotherham, as discussed, with three in hand over them. So up against it, they're on their fourth manager of the season. Three of them permanent in inverted commas it's never permanent when you're Sheffield Wednesday manager and one caretaker and they got 50% of their total points tally in a run of six wins in nine games between December and February and you know you've looked at the numbers and we've sort of jointly concluded that was a little bit of a fluke um conceded far more chances in that run than they created um you know they held on to a couple of leads riding it out at the end and a couple of late winning goals as well i think my main question to you was how does it look on the numbers if you can on on a small sample size as to how darren moore has improved things since coming in as mentioned they had gary monk tony pulis Darren Moore, in terms of maintaining a style of play across a club, you couldn't really lurch from extreme to extreme more than that. Monk was someone who tried to have possession, but also press quite high. I mean, their PPDA of 11.3 is is pretty high in the championship this season, but they're creating really, really low quality of shots. I mean, less than 0.8 XG per shot is is definitely amongst the lowest of the, in, the, in the championship and just 10 shots on average. You then move to Tony Pulis, just six shots a game, uh, slightly higher XG per shot, but still 0.08 is, is very low. So again, there's just no attack there. 25% of their passes were long, very standard for Tony Pulis, and PPDA of 20 is extremely, extremely passive, and 37% possession. So again, you've gone from pressing a bit of possession to no pressing and long balls. And now Darren Moore's back up with nine shots a game, much improved XG per shot. I mean, it's, it's uh, probably, you know, mid-table to higher in the championship. Possession's up to 47%, but the speed at which they play upfield is the lowest of the three. So more of a, a build-up, approach less less pressing but also creating better quality chances so hopefully for thinking kind of longer term it's a step in the dark right direction with uh with darren moore at the yeah head. i like that that's really interesting I, I agree with you it might be too late for this season but uh potentially you know could be one to watch for next season if they do get relegated to league one and in terms of of interesting players basically none i'm afraid again their their recruitment over the last few years well at first it was kind of expensive players that had no resale value and because of that they then had to cut their cloth accordingly went through a transfer embargo and have pretty much only signed freebies and loans since then um, not only do they not have a particularly prolific goal scorer they got three players on six goals but also barely anyone with a, a creative bone in their body I'm afraid so not not been a great watch this season Wednesday and 24th Tom at Wiccan Wanderers they were the, the sort of fairy tale story of the EFL last season winning promotion through the playoffs from League One where at that level they had the lowest budget in the league and were predicted to be relegated so they shouldn't even be here they are 24th. Um, they've had a lot of plaudits this season for, for giving it a go, giving plenty of bloody noses, but they do have the, the worst points per game record in the EFL's three leagues. Do you think they've been unlucky or just not good enough for the level? Yeah, probably not good enough for the level, which again, when you look at that budget, it's to be expected really, but this is a great mission for them in terms of getting a bit of championship money, taking it to, to League One and trying to 
be sustainable at this level and, and trying to build to be a top level league one slash building towards being a, a championship team for the future. But I think star wise, they're the, they're the most funky team of the league. I mean, they've had just 14 sequences in the whole season, which have had 10 or more passes. Wow. Uh, Norwich have had 501 <laughs> of these. Um, and they're obviously the most direct team speed wise as well. So they're just getting the ball and lumping it forwards. I think 2.6 passes per possession on average which is the lowest in the league so again you can pay a, a picture of the sort of football you're expecting from from Wigan and of course Wonders. big Bayo Akinfen were up top uh, he's had a long and storied career in leagues one and two this was his first championship season and probably his final one as well um, he has certainly been one of the players that's given the opposition a bloody nose probably literally at times um, but he has struggled in front of goal zero goals from 3.5 expected a couple of big chances missed for sure and zero assists as well from 2.3 expected which he can blame his teammates for right I think we pretty much succeeded with what we set out to do. It's been an absolute roller coaster, Tom. But I hope you've enjoyed uh, dipping down and talking about the second tier. It, it is, of course, the best league in the world. So, enjoyed this? Yeah, Ali, absolutely. Let's hope Michael takes another holiday at some point and we can uh, we can do this again. Now, it feels like too much to promise that we could do this for another second tier across Europe. But never say never. Uh, as always... Guys, we really want to be steered by you and we love your suggestions on Twitter. Please get in touch with any of us with ideas for a whole pod, ideas for, you know, quick hits at the top of uh, of the next episode when Coxie's back. But, you know, we love your input. It's really what makes this podcast. Uh, We love how long a leash we have, I guess, in being able to, to chop and change our topics from week to week and keep things fresh. So do make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and to The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash zonal marking is where you can do that. And join us next week with a returning rampant Michael Cox. Certainly no talk of championship football then. But hope you've enjoyed it. Goodbye.